Yeshua. I pray, Lord, as we continue through this morning now, that you would continue to impress your greatness upon us, that here in your presence we would be transformed. Sitting under your word, Lord, we would be transformed more into the likeness of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that you are here among us now. And I pray, Lord, that we better sit with you now with humble hearts to receive, Lord, whatever it is you have for us. So, Lord, I pray that your will would be fulfilled now. This time is yours. Lord, I pray you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Mark chapter 14, from verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Our Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Kepha, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? It's hard to imagine uh, this because he is God but even Jesus needed comfort even Jesus needed a friend to stand with him in his hour of emotional anguish if the son of God needed it how much more do we need support through our dark times it was never God's plan that we should journey, walk this life alone. He said in Genesis chapter 2, when he looked on man, he looked on Adam, and he said, it is not good that he is alone. And so he created a partner through which he could travel this, this journey in life. There was no mention of God's presence being sufficient. God determined from the start, that people need people. They need community. And not just with him, but with others like ourselves. Folk with skin on. It's quite interesting, isn't it? So when Jesus, fully God but fully human, was overwhelmed with the emotion of his imminent faith and in desperate need, of a supportive friend, were his friends there for him? Well, the answer is no. They were sleeping. And the question for us this morning is, are we sleeping too? Anecdotally, there is little doubt that many of us are asleep, me included, we're asleep and often ignorant of the pain around us. For we hear so many stories of people in the church who have suffered all kinds of hardship, but have also felt like they are walking it alone. Some among us even feel like that today. And that is not the church that God has called us to be. That is not his plan for the rock. 
The rock is called to be a community that knows him, that knows God, that loves others and walks together along whatever path we find ourselves on. Let's look a little closer at that dark night at Gethsemane. Mark 14. You would have noticed that Jesus didn't take all of his followers with him that night. And into the garden, he didn't even take the twelve. He just took his closest friends. Peter, James and John. These were the guys that he took everywhere. They were the guys with whom he shared the glory of the transfiguration and the emotional pain of his impending execution. There are a few things that that I take away just reading this short account. One is that Jesus invited a small group of people into an intimate relationship with him. A small group that he would invest intensively into and a small group that he would lean on for support. I also saw that Jesus modelled vulnerability. He was humble enough to know that he needed support. He was authentic enough to show them the real man behind the enigmatic prophet. And he was vulnerable enough to allow his inner circle to see what was really going on with him. Before the crowd, he was the man. He was the Messiah. And he stepped up to be who he needed to be. But that doesn't mean, even though he was God, it doesn't mean it was easy for him. And coming down to earth and taking on the form of humanity, he took on everything that goes with that as well. Our fragile emotional condition. He took that with him. So in all the trials that he faced, the opposition that he faced, the pain, he was human. And he had to deal with that. And he shared that with a few. And the last thing, of course, we see is that Jesus' closest friends weren't there for for him when they needed him. They hadn't yet grasped what true community is. Jesus didn't even ask that much of them. He didn't ask them to fix it. He didn't ask Peter to grab a sword and attack anyone. He simply asked, stay with me and pray. He needed them to be emotionally present and spiritually supportive. And they couldn't even give him that. Even though he asked them three times. Despite their obvious failure, it is still important to note that in his hour of need, Jesus turned to his friends. He didn't turn to religious leaders. He didn't turn to the priests of his temple. He didn't call them to stand with him. He called friends. But for some reason, we now have this idea uh, that, it's, that this is the role of church leaders. 
the job title pastor is um, quite a misleading one. It can be quite unhelpful in the church, believe me. It can lead some people to develop uh, this misconception uh, that it's the professional uh, church employee's job to care for everyone's needs. My job title on my contract, for example, is pastor. Uh, Pastor is uh, Latin for shepherd. Um, My job description has nothing to do with caring for people. Nothing at all. Well, not in the kind of counselling, come and have a hug kind of sense, uh, at least anyway. I'll hug people. You know, if I have to, but it's not what I'm paid to do. Uh, I don't get paid for that. Uh, I'm not paid to care for people. But I am made to care for people. I'm created to care for people. We all are. Our twofold purpose on this planet is to love God and to love others. And so though it is not my contractual responsibility to care for you, it is my responsibility as a member of the kingdom of God. Sure, write that down. Covenant responsibility. What we need to reject as a community is this ill-conceived pastoral care paradigm that says uh, it's a church leader's or church employee's responsibility to be tending to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the rest of the community. It wasn't the priests or prophets that comforted King Saul through his spiritual oppression. It was a young man with a harp and a song. It wasn't the Levites that supported Ruth through the loss of her husband or cared for the elderly Naomi. God brought them together to care for each other. Loving people is not the exclusive purview of church staff. And it's not even the sole responsibility of life group leaders. It's a responsibility that we all share. Church is not something that happens to us. It is us. A loving church is a community of people loving each other and the world around them. But for God's love to abound among us, there are two truths that we need to surrender ourselves to. The first is that God wants to love people through us. And the second is that God wants to love us through people. That means we have to learn to both give and receive. And most of us aren't that good at either of them. Let me explain. For many of us, giving can be quite difficult. Giving requires letting go, sacrificing, denying ourselves uh, for the benefit of others. And that's hard because by nature, we're inherently selfish. We really can't help it. No one's judging you for it. I am. I'm selfish. Ask my wife. You know, don't ask my wife. Just take it. Yeah, it's red. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. We are the centre of our own universe. Unless, of course, we 
choose and can somehow find a way to make someone else the centre of our universe. Like God, for example. To be an instrument of God's love in other people's lives, we need to get over ourselves and what is our human nature. To put others first, whether we feel like it or not. Because real love, true agape love, has nothing to do with feelings. Nothing whatsoever. If you haven't picked it up from that story in Mark 14, Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. You know that, right? He didn't feel like it. He desperately didn't want to go to the cross. He cried tears of blood because he was so terrified of the prospect. He went to the cross not because he felt like doing it. He submitted his fear under the will of God. And he chose in his love what was better for us than for him because he loved us. It had nothing to do with feelings. There was nothing gooey going on that night. It was a terrible, terrible night. But he dealt with it because he loves and because he obeys the Father. this is what Jesus says to us. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unfortunately, Jesus sets the bar pretty high on loving people. But that's the goalpost, folks. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Unfortunately, there isn't really a switch that you can flick that instantly makes you significantly more loving and generous and kind and compassionate. I'm still looking, but I haven't found the switch yet. But it's part of the fruit of a renewed mind and transformed heart. So the more that we can submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the more God can shape us and hone us into the kind of people that I'm talking about. The more we truly know him, the more we will become like him. That is the path that we are on here, friends. And so in in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, Paul prays, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. See, Paul knew what it, what it would take. We need more of God in us if we're going to become this kind of person. We need something supernatural to be happening within us. 
We need miracles to be happening within us. But every time we think of others rather than ourselves, every time we put the will of God before our own will, that in itself is a miracle. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit just doing something very special in us. And he wants to do so much in us and through us, if only we would let him. So it's a constant battle of wills. Are we going to choose what he has for us? Or just whatever we want to do? And the more we give in to him, the more we see come from that, the more fruit we see of his spirit. Our God is a gentleman. He does not force himself upon us. He stands at the door. He knocks. He waits. And we let him in. And not, not just a one-time thing. Not just a coming to salvation and receiving him as savior kind of deal. We're very complicated people. We've got a lot going on inside us. And we lock off all these different parts of our mind and our heart. We lock those doors. We only let God into a little bit. We only let him into what we feel comfortable with. But all the time he's knocking. I want everything. I want you to experience all of me that you can. And so he's knocking, asking, please, just give me a little bit more. And so the choice is ours. How much of him we will let in. So the first ingredient in a loving community is a heart that gives. The second is a heart that can receive. That sounds like that, that one should be pretty easy, right? We all like to get stuff. Well, not always. Kiwis are funny people. I can say being one. Kiwis can be quite proud. Now, men can be very proud. Englishmen, too. Very proud, among other things. <laughs> But we are all proud to some degree. We don't like to admit weakness. The Kiwi spirit is one of independence and self-sufficiency. The pioneers who came to try to forge some kind of western nation out of this rugged land, they wanted to do it their way. And we still have that. We like to be independent down here, do things our way. Needing others seems weak, unmanly, unbecoming. Most of us don't like to admit that we are struggling. Maybe we don't want people to judge us, or pity us, or gossip about us. All of which happens in a dysfunctional church. And so we keep our pain, our struggle, to ourselves. Our pride and our fear deny God the opportunity to love on us and comfort us. We here, we are part of the body of Christ. We are his arms. We are the ones who give his hugs. 
But pride prevents us from receiving those hugs or the comfort he longs to give us in whatever form we need it. If the king of heaven could be vulnerable with the humble fisherman he called friends, why can't we be? We have got to get over ourselves and reject the stifling elements of our repressive Kiwi culture. Kill our pride and let God love us through his people. Men, Chuck Norris is in a life group. I'm not making a Chuck Norris joke here. Chuck Norris is in a life group. He's in a small group with other men, and they share their problems with each other. I'm not messing with you. He's at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas in a small group with other men. I'm sure they do you know, roundhouse kicks at the end of the meeting and, and stuff, but if Chuck Norris can do it, surely the rest of us can do it. And we can make time to be in intimate relationships with other men and talk about whatever we need to talk about. I'd like to go to his life group. It'd be pretty cool. But truth is, I love mine. I love mine. And Chuck Norris isn't my top role model anyway. We need to redefine our broken image of masculinity so that we can become the kind of man, speaking of men here, that Jesus was. Jesus needs to be my top role model. Man or woman, he needs to be the one person on this planet that you would aspire to be like above all else. So I want Jesus to define for me what it means to be a man. It helps that there's a nice biblical image of him on a big horse with a big sword. That's cool. But Jesus was also meek and humble and he loved passionately. He was kind and he was generous. So that's the kind of man I want to be. And that means I need to open my life to a few trustworthy people who can journey with me through the struggle, through my darkness. People who will be faithful to stand by me when things get tough. And they do. And you've got to understand that that's quite hard for me. I am quite an independent person. I find it difficult to submit. I find it hard to admit weakness. But that has been killing me for so long. It has stifled my development as a man and as a follower of Christ and as a leader in his church. I've allowed my pride to hold me back from becoming the man that God has called me to be. I'm not wired for it. And so I need a bit of rewiring. For me, this process has been a gradual one. Pushing through my pride one day at a time, sharing a new piece of myself, my inner self with someone. 
and this is making me progressively more vulnerable and authentic with others, and it ultimately opens me up to receive more of God's love as he looks to administer it through his people here on earth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We need to share our suffering and our triumphs. We need to walk together. Three weeks ago, my best friend lost his battle with brain cancer, leaving behind a grieving wife and two small children. In my life group are people who have suffered just over the last year. Deaths in the family, unemployment, financial hardship, miscarriage, a chronic pain disorder, divorce, porn addiction, and a serious car accident. That's just my life group. That's the last year, and that's just the few things that I know about. This is life, people. That's not abnormal. That's our life. And it is hard, especially when we're walking it alone. But that is not what God intended. He said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, from verse 9, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And in First Peter chapter 4, from verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And the scriptures go on and on and on. I've got pages of them that speak to this. Our purpose on this planet to love each other, to care for each other, to support each other. This is God's will for us as a church, friends. This is what it means to walk together. And the rock needs to be a place where we walk together, no matter what. This needs to be the place where hurting people find comfort, where broken people find restoration, where sick people find healing, 
where lonely people find friendship and where we all find community. This needs to be the place. And it will be. This will be that place when we learn to love as Christ loved and trade in our pride for an authenticity that builds trust and intimacy among us. Can we do that? Help us make the rock a family of love, a house of healing, and a community of radical transformation that walks together. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray the same thing that Paul prayed. For a miraculous outpouring of your love. And for hearts in this room, Lord, to receive it. Your perfect love casts out all fear, Lord. I pray, Lord, for that miracle right here, right now. Lord, that a spring of your love would just burst out in this place and touch us all. I pray step by step we'd be able to get over ourselves, kill off our pride, Allow you to do the work in us, Lord, that you long to do. Lord, that we would love each other. That we would stand by each other. That we would walk with each other and we would not fall asleep. Lead us on, I pray in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That was powerful, wasn't it? And the key is, as Clay mentioned, is knowing him. Knowing the one that we worship. And uh, if you're here this morning, I want to do give you that opportunity for the first time maybe to receive him as not only Saviour but Lord. And is there anyone here today that said, Greg, that's, that's me. You're speaking to me. You spoke to me. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm ready to make a, a decision. You know, Jesus says, count the cost. He says, you know, why would a man go to war if he has 10,000 soldiers against one that has 20? He, needs to, he or she needs to count the cost because there is a cost, but the cost is the most empowering thing you can pay. It sounds funny. It sounds back to front. It's going to cost you, cost him everything. As you've heard today, it costs you everything as well. Is anyone here? Just quickly, just raise your hand. Just say, that's me, Greg. It's real simple. We, simple but deep. <laughs> Anyone here want to make a decision to follow him? That's cool. Anybody here want to make a recommitment today? Maybe you've, you're here and you're like you're still connected, but you're on a rubber band and it's quite extended. And you'd like to just say today, I want to acknowledge you before this family and you, Lord, that I'm coming back. There's an incredible song that says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm coming back to where I've always belonged. You know, and we know there's an incredible story about a a son who went off and wanted to sow his wild oats, take his money and do a thing and realise that it's not as rosy as what it looks when you're out there. 
and home was the place to be. And the Bible says his father was looking every day, just looking every day, going to the letterbox and looking to see if his son was coming. Anyone want to come home this morning? Be bold, be brave. That's me. This real power, you know, when you, when you take a step of faith, there's power that, that meets that decision to, to live this life. Anybody want to come back? Awesome. Just just stand, guys. Do you mind just standing? Anyone else? 